hello and welcome to Semaphore Uncut, a podcast where we talk about uh, development, um, continuous integration and uh, generally testing practices. Today we have with us Anton from Swiftly. Anton, thank you so much for joining us. Feel free to go ahead and introduce yourself. I'm uh, Antoine van der Leij, as you said, from uh, the blog called Swiftly, where I blog every week since last year, May. It's already been a while. Apart from that, I'm also working at WeTransfer here in Amsterdam, where I'm developing the Collect by WeTransfer application, fully into Swift and iOS development. I'm really eager to talk about that. Okay, great. Before we continue, can you give us just a bit more about the product that you're working on and the team that is developing it? Yeah, totally. So we're a team based in Amsterdam, while we also have offices in New York and LA. The team I'm working in in Amsterdam is like 12 people, including designers, backenders, Android team, and an iOS team, where the Android team is two people's big, and I'm in a team of three iOS developers, including me, two designers, two backenders, one frontender. And we're developing the Collect by WeTransfer app, which is like a multi-platform application where you can collect all kinds of content and share that in a visual kind of style with everyone you like to share it with. Great. Thanks for sharing that. So you have been in the iOS world, I guess, first in the Objective-C and then in Swift world for 10 years. I don't have uh, any first-hand experience with uh, iOS development, so my kind of plan is to write this episode as a noob who wants to get into the iOS development world. So when you generally start the uh, first couple of months or sometimes it could be even a year, you just keep you know developing without writing too many tests. So how did you enter the area of automated testing and how it looked in the iOS world and how it changed? That's a great question. I'm in this world for 10 years, but I'm definitely not writing tests for 10 years. I think that's part of the fact that as a junior, you start writing applications first. That's already a big chunk to learn about. And once you go ahead and you learn more about building applications, you start to realize that writing tests is actually a really nice tool to make your apps more stable and to come to a great solution in an easier way. So 10 years ago, I started as actually a Windows phone developer with C Sharp. And I had some great people around me who uh, teached me the basics of creating uh, good structured applications. But my heart was with Apple. So at that time, I started developing iOS applications at kind of an agency. I joined another agency after a year, which developed like quite a lot of applications within a year. But the main problem there is that you already need a lot of time to build the actual application and there's not really a lot of time to write tests. Which is also the reason why of those 10 years, I didn't really write tests for 10 years. I think that mostly started when I developed a few frameworks for the agency, which were used in quite a lot of different applications. So it's more important that it's truly tested and you are pretty sure that the core logic of all the applications is working fine. That's where I started writing my first tests, basically. Once I started at WeTransfer, the whole paradigm of writing tests changed for me. I mean, WeTransfer is a product company, right? So we develop an application which lasts for a lot longer. We have way more time to write an actual good solution. 
So we almost do test-driven development where tests are really important to keep the product stable and up. I can totally connect with that. There are like agencies working for clients. It's a bit more rougher world in terms of like timelines and budgets. And when it's a product company, then much more craft is welcomed because yeah, it should last much longer and it's going to be ours in a couple of years also, and we'll have to maintain it. So I guess that a lot of our listeners can connect to that also. And in terms of unit testing and doing some integration tests or in case of mobile apps, UI tests, how do you see that split there? There is generally that uh, testing pyramid, which is advocating for having you know a lot of fast unit tests. And then you have a couple of slow, but integration or unit tests, which are touching many parts of your application. So how does that look for your team? Yeah, so I think you're hit a spot there. There's multiple ways of writing tests, and I think everybody has its own opinion about it. Looking at WeTransfer, we decided to only go for unit tests right now. And the reason for that is that UI tests are simply unstable and really hard to maintain, especially if you have a young product in which the UI is changing quite a lot. It's often easier to maintain unit tests, which really test the business logic instead of like the flows of the UI. Obviously, a downside of that is that your UI is not always tested as truly as your business logic, but we decided to go for a great QA team who does that for us. But yeah, looking further in the future, ideally we would have replaced the QA part more or less with UI tests that make sure that all the flows are working as expected. In that journey, you can always opt in for something where you test majority of the stuff with the automated test, but still keep, you know, some parts being tested manually. That actually brings us to something that we'll talk more about later, and it's uh, generally a release cycle. But before we jump to that, let me ask, in the last couple of years, how this Swift language that was introduced influenced generally the testing area, or did it? I think it's not per se Swift changing the way testing changed, but it's mainly Apple having way more dedicated time towards writing great testing solutions. So if we look back at the past two years, Xcode has quite some uh, new additions to it. So we have, for example, Xcode Server, which allows you to run the tests on a server more integrated into Xcode, while we also have Xcode bots and test plans, which are introduced this year, actually, which shows that Apple is way more focused on making sure tests are more like suitable for nowadays, what you expect for tests. So take, for example, running parallel tests or randomized tests. Those are things which are quite normal in the web world and that flakiness of tests, right? So if you run test synchronous, so every time you run the same order of tests, it could definitely be that your tests succeed. But when you enable parallelization or a randomization of the test, then suddenly there could be weird edge cases you didn't see before. Those are just two examples of what Apple added over the years. And if you look back eight years ago, we definitely didn't have that. And Xcode was a lot less stable in running tests as well. Yeah, I just want to confirm that uh, very similar is true also for the web world, as you mentioned. I know that in the beginning, especially with those UI tests, there were a lot of those dependencies about like order in which they are run. 
Paralyzation is one of the things that actually uncovered a lot of, you know, rotten tests. <laughs> yeah, and if you look at the state where it is right now, I know from a lot of other developers that it kind of works if you run them locally, but still on like CI systems. And that's, I think, the biggest problem we have right now in the Swift environment and maybe as well in the Objective-C environment is that tests succeed locally, but they fail on CI or they have different behavior on CI. And that's, I think, one of the biggest slowdowns for us as well at WeTransfer. What you just said in these last two sentences kind of describes my whole career. <laughs> <laughs> we have been doing this, you know, hosted CI thing for nine years almost. To be honest, over the years, we documented quite a lot of those things and recommendations and so on. And it seems that industry as a whole has also learned that it is something that you would experience. The thing is that it's a completely different environment. Who knows what you tweaked two years ago on your local machine, which is quite different from the CI environment. One thing that we have in the web dev world is Docker. Yeah. That helped a lot because you can have particular version of, let's say, Ruby that you compiled with a very specific version of, you know, libssl and so on. So those small annoying things of one minor version difference have been eliminated, at least in the Docker world. So are those small version mismatches a source of that behavior or do you find that something else is a major reason for that? Well, I think looking at what we experience right now at WeTransfer, it's more often the cost by ourselves than the CI solution. So if we, for example, take a look at how a CI runs tests, is that it always runs from scratch, right? So it checks out the project, it sets it all up, it installs dependencies like gems, and then it starts executing the test in a certain way on a simulator, which is cleaned up. If you look at the development process, we often run the test in a simulator which already had the app installed. It's not a clean build. We don't update the gems before running the tests. So actually what you described with the Docker uh, example is that the environments are not matching. So yeah, looking at what we have right now at WeTransfer, it's often the case of making sure the environments match, that we test on a clean simulator and then it turns out that for most cases, the tests were just not set up correctly and it's just a developer mistake. So it's a lot of scenarios which can influence the fact of unstable tests, more or less. Yeah. Well, some of these areas are like one-time investments, which is great. I guess there are also some areas which can pop up randomly during the process. Yeah, totally. Since we touched upon CI already, so... You and your colleagues, in your like day-to-day, -day, you know, hands-on developing a feature, fixing a bug, what are the things that you usually run locally? And what are the things that you run in CI? So we have a big setup, you can say. What we uh, at least say with each other, like, run the test locally before you open the PR. So make sure that the tests succeed locally. That's the least you can do. And it also makes sure that you didn't break anything else. So... Once we open up PR, then the continuous integration system starts and runs the test from the CI. And that brings us all kinds of information, which you would normally maybe manually reply on a pull request. This also refers a bit back. I did a talk on speeding up development as an iOS developer, where it's really important to automate things to save time. And at first, it takes quite some time to set it all up, right? To set up the automation. 
but it will eventually save you time because you have to do less. And one of the examples we do at WeTransfer is automated PR reviews. So things like, hey, you should use a colon here or use steps instead of four spaces. All those kind of things you would normally manually reply to a pull request are now automated using linters. And that saves us a lot of time. It's just one example. We also have code coverage and warning reports. We ask for a change log entry, pull request description. All those kind of things helps us to know for sure that when we start reviewing a pull request, those things are already done, which saves a lot of time. Doing things manually that can be automated in just a couple of months of having those great practices can save a lot of time. And um, some of those things are just annoying probably also for the reviewer and also for the person who is getting the feedback. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's easier to fight with a robot on the other side than with people, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And uh, during the prep talk, uh, you mentioned that over time you developed kind of a boilerplate project. Can you maybe share a bit how you use it and what's included? And we can, of course, always include the link to it in the show notes. Yeah, so a bit of context. We transfer is really driven to open source frameworks if we can. So last week we had a hackathon and I developed another framework. And I think the whole CI system was set up in maybe 15 minutes, which is quite fast. And the reason for that is that we created a repository on GitHub, which is open sourced. It's called WeTransfer iOS CI. And it basically includes all our logic, which we use for all our repositories. So for both our internal projects as well as for our open source projects. And what it does, it's including a fast lane file, which we can reference from the open source project or internal project. And that fast lane file will trigger things like danger, which reports, errors, warnings, change log entry. It triggers the linter as well. It triggers all our integrations we have set up for pull request reviews. And it's really easy to integrate it as we can just make sure to execute the fast lane lane from our fast lane integration within the project itself. Simply add the submodule, reference the fast lane file, make sure the gems are installed and trigger it when the pull request is opened. So yeah, that's saving us a lot of time with a lot of projects where obviously it's also a big time saver when you have to maintain several CI solutions. So we have around six open source projects, which all use the same CI setup. And before we had this solution, we were updating Fastlane, updating the gems, all per repository. So you can imagine per task, well, multiplied by six, as we have six open source projects. So that was the point where we said like, hey, we're gonna write an open source solution. And we make sure that maintaining the CI integration in those projects will be a lot easier. Yeah, most of our development is in the microservices area. I can totally relate that uh, you change a couple, you update some things, but then there are five more repositories that would need to be updated also. And if you can make that layer, which is transferable to everywhere, that's fantastic. Yeah, exactly. And uh, maintaining that boilerplate, is that something that you maintain yourself or is community involved already or do you have any plans to popularize it more? So right now it's quite dedicated to our way of reviewing pull requests and our code guidelines more or less. So it didn't get as much traction as I hoped 
but I also really understand that it's not really used by others. And that's mainly because it works for us, but I think many others have their own way of setting up CI and they might not want all the reports we have in place. So maintenance is mainly done by me and by others in the team for now, but maybe after this podcast recording, I got a few more uh, contributors. That would be great. It can be just an inspiration for others to make something similar. That would be fantastic also. I think that's one of the things where it's being used for. So our Danger file is also open sourced on the Danger website. So people can get inspiration from it and basically copy over the rules they want to have as well. So in that sense, it's been reused by others as well. Great. We'll make sure to include the link to it in the notes. One thing that was uh, very interesting for me when I heard about it is uh, a release train process that you have in place and how you ship your mobile apps every Monday if you catch that release train. So maybe you can give us a brief overview of how that works internally for you. I think I can start explaining why we started building the release train. When we developed updates for our application, we were really tempting to say like, okay, let's reschedule the release so we can fit in this PR as well. And we delayed the release with a few days. And that often happened more and more times where it's kind of lame more or less, because if that gets delayed even more, then you have a week without a release. So we started to sit down with the team and we were like, hey, can we make this more efficient as well as more automated? Because at the same time, we were doing all the releases manually. We had to create an archive, submit it to App Store Connect, do all the metadata in App Store Connect manually, and then we submitted the build. If you compare doing that automatically, it can save you a lot of time. So we started uh, setting up a plan for our release train, which basically means that every Monday there's an automation started from CI doing the whole app submission, which is basically using Fastlane. We make sure that we deliver all the metadata, we get a build from GitHub, and we make sure that it's actually submitted for review pending developer, so we can release it ourselves in the end. So how it works, we have a QA team, which gets a new build every day. So every evening around seven o'clock, we trigger a new build delivery and we include the change log. So our QA team knows exactly what has been changed and they will run through the whole test plan we have set up with them. Next morning, we come in the office and we basically hear from them that the build is green lighted, as we say, and we go to the GitHub releases page and there we have the same generated build from the day before, but it's marked as a pre-release. Basically what QA can do there is when they think like, hey, this build is good enough, it's stable and it's release ready, we mark this build as green. And the way we do that is basically by unchecking the pre-release check mark, which makes it an actual release candidate. Say for example, this is on a Wednesday, then on Thursday, there is another build delivered. QA starts testing it. And if QA thinks, hey, this build is good enough, then QA marks that build as green as well, which basically invalidates the build from the day before, as this is a newer green light build. And then we're on the Monday. So every Monday at 10 o'clock in the morning, we have another release train, well, the actual release train. And that triggers a check where it takes the last marked green light build release on our GitHub page and uses that to submit to the App Store. And the great thing about this is that no matter what, we will release the last stable build on a Monday. And 
if it happens that your PR is in that build, it will be released. And if not, it will be released the very next Monday, which is at most a week away. So that took away a whole lot of discussion about when to release. Everybody in the team knows like, hey, every Monday there's a new build coming, a new release coming. And we don't have to think about releasing anymore. We only have to check did CI run succeed and was the build actually approved by Apple. And eventually we need to press the release button and we're all set. While you were talking about this, I was kind of keeping the track of all the things it, it sold, but uh, it seems that uh, it kind of synchronized the whole team. There are no discussions, but also it gives that you know high level of predictability for everyone in the team. Has anything in the team mechanics changed in terms of how you structure your week and your work? Well, as we want to have a green light build for the Monday, we want to make sure that we deliver a new build every day. I think we know that when we open a PR on a Friday, we know that there isn't enough time for QA to test it truly anymore. So the PR will not be included in the upcoming release, more or less. I think it's more a mindset that has been changed and it took away a whole lot of stress. Otherwise, you might rush your PR on a Friday and still merge it in because you can do the release manually yourself on Monday while it might not be tested truly. It's just how it is right now. We know we release on Monday and that's it. We can't do anything about it. One other practice that you introduced is that you try to have a daily release also, right? So it's not that for three days you don't have a release. Yeah, so that keeps the whole team in the loop. So they know what we've been working on. They can test it early. And QA always tests the latest available build. Looking back, we maybe never delivered a test flight build or once a week. And the only build our team would see was the build we would actually release. It's the whole thing together, connecting QA to the integration of our team, connecting the team to our test flight. It's a whole lot more visible for everybody. A fantastic practice, especially for the mobile development area. And um, a bit of history on these release trends. So I heard about them, bigger teams developing backend, frontend, whatever, but more in the web world where they can freely on know release multiple times per day, also have implemented these release train strategies. So there is a release train going, you know, maybe a couple of times per day. Whenever during the day you put your stuff in the release train, it will get shipped. But to be honest, I never digged around what's the background. Is it from some other industry or do you maybe know anything about the background of these release trains? It's hard to tell. It's also really hard to compare the web development to mobile development, obviously. I think it's in the mobile world is quite young because you used to have seven days review time in the app store. So it was way harder to predict whether your release would already be approved by the time you want to do another release. I think it's definitely not coming from the mobile world and web development is way older as well. So yeah, I don't know. It's all about automation, right? So where did it start? It's a really hard question for me to answer as well. Yeah, I understand. Now that review process has uh, shortened significantly, is more predictable, right? Yeah, totally. Sometimes it's even like a few hours and the app is already approved. Yeah, that's a very critical component to be in the place for this process that you have to work. Yeah, that's great. I hope that some other teams would also pick up this practice. It sounds amazing. We are approaching the end of this year. Apple released a bunch of stable and unstable stuff. 
Is there something that you're looking forward particularly in next year to be released in the iOS world or Apple ecosystem in general? It's always the question like, what is Apple working on? And nobody knows. <laughs> yeah, nobody knows. Well, they acquired a Biddy build a few years ago, which is a CI integration. I mainly hope they use it to integrate CI solutions more into Xcode and make it easier for uh, CI providers to integrate with Xcode as well. That's one of my biggest wishes together with just faster build times, stabler tests, and so on. It's like Christmas in the middle of the year, we get a new present and uh, we have to see what's in there, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that a lot of a lot of iOS developers can relate to these wishes that you have. <laughs> totally, yeah. Okay, great. Uh, well, it was uh, fantastic uh, to talk to you about all these practices and how they came about. Thanks so much for uh, joining us and uh, sharing all this. It was a pleasure to be here. And uh, yeah, thanks for inviting me over to talk about this great topic.